Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination. And I am so honored to have with me as my guest today, Seth Greenland. Welcome, Seth. Thanks, Jen. It's a pleasure to be in this basement. I am. I know. <laughs> in your <laughs> dungeon. Close quarters. Little do our listeners know. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Seth. Seth Greenland is a novelist, playwright, and screenwriter. His second novel, Shining City, was published by Bloomsbury in 2008 and has been translated into French, Dutch, Italian, and Chinese. Movie rights have been purchased by Warner Brothers. The Bones, his debut novel, was published by Bloomsbury in 2005 and has been translated into French. Movie rights were optioned by Sony. His first play, Jungle Rot, was the recipient of the Kennedy Center American Express Fund for New American Plays Award and the American Theater Critics Association Award. It was published by Dramatist Play Service and anthologized in Best American Plays 1995-1996. His other produced plays include Jerusalem, a finalist for the Critics Award, Red Memories, and Girls in Movies. He is currently working on the HBO series Big Love. Mr. Greenland was one of the original bloggers on the Huffington Post and continues to contribute to the site. His work has also appeared in the Los Angeles Times, Newsday, Chicago Tribune, and the Baltimore Sun, written by and the literary journal Black Clock. His writing has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize. He has taught at the UCLA Writers Program and guest lectured at NYU, USC, and UC Riverside. He lives in Los Angeles with his wife, Susan Kaiser Greenland, and their two children. Wow, that's a lot. That's quite a background. Yeah, well, it's uh, you live long enough and things start to accumulate. That is amazing. Well, what I love is the variety of platforms that you have worked in uh, writing-wise. Did you always know that you wanted to write? Yeah, well, it was the one thing that I was always good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know anybody who was making a living doing it as a kid. You know, I grew up in a suburb of New York City, and the dads all commuted to jobs and offices, and it was, you know, it was like the Mad Men era. Right, and, I love uh, it. So I didn't know any writers, and or actors, or directors, or ballet dancers, or opera singers, and... Uh, that was just a, a world that was very far away, another planet, really. So, no, I was uh, I had no inclination uh, professionally to be a writer because I didn't think that it was something that I could do or, or would be, you know, set up to do or uh, that my parents would want me to do. It just was completely not on my radar. I wanted to be on the New York Knicks. I love it. That's great. Actually. So did you write as a child? Yeah, I did. I, okay. I wrote stories for fun and... Uh, as a, as a little kid, really in elementary school. And then uh, by the time I got to high school, I was just looking to do as little as possible in every possible way. So I, I can't claim that I came home after school and 
and did writing. And it knew was, that this was this no, was your destiny. Far, far which from it, it. Definitely is. No, I, I napped a lot. <laughs> that was what I did <laughs> I in high school. <laughs> what would you say when it comes to writing is say your favorite part and your least favorite part? Oh, my favorite part is doing it, and my least favorite part is doing it, and it just has to do with how that particular day is going. Um, I, you know, I'm starting to gear up now after the holidays. It's uh, your listeners will know it's taken me about a month since the holidays ended <laughs> a while ago, and uh, and getting geared up on these projects right now that I'm trying to work on has been very very difficult for whatever reason. And uh, but once I start going, and it things start flowing, which they usually do, it'll become uh, less of a struggle. And then you have good days, and those are terrific. And, and you hope you have more good days than, than frustrating days at your desk. And then that's how the pages accumulate, and you produce what you produce. How now projects that you're working on say, so Big Love you're just coming off of. Yes. Yeah, we finished that. Uh, they're still cutting it, actually. Uh, uh-huh. They're still cutting the final season. But I finished uh, in early December. Great. I look forward to it. That's one of my favorite shows on oh, TV. Oh, cool. well, thank you. I have to say, I'm so excited to see this season. Um, but before jumping into Big Love, I definitely want to go into your background as a blogger, a playwright, and a novelist. Sure. Because I'm fascinated by this. So which came first? Well, I actually started out, um, I went to film school. And I'll back up even further. I was a journalist. And uh, I took a year between college and graduate school. And during that year, I was a reporter for a newspaper in New York City called the Soho Weekly News. Oh, yeah. And uh, I sold uh, a freelance article that I wrote on spec to Parade Magazine. And they paid me what then was just a tremendous amount of money, given that I had nothing. Uh, you know, I was I was 22 or 23 years old, and I got a check for $1,200 for wow. writing an article. And uh, I thought, man, you know, you can make some money doing this and, and maybe you can have a career at it. And I, you know, tried to be a freelance writer for a while. And it was incredibly difficult. And I had applied to film school in the meantime. And then uh, where did you go to film school? I got an MFA from NYU. Great. From, from Tisch. Yeah. Great. And uh, I got out of film school a few years later and uh, came out here and wrote a spec script for Cheers. And. Uh, which was a new show at the time. Yeah. And uh, I, through a series of events, uh, was able to get it to a, a, a kind of a big shot producer, and he took a liking to me, and I got a staff job. And that was about, uh, I don't know, I guess about Four a year. Cheers? No, 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 oh, for okay. a show that he was doing, an oh, ABC great. show. And, uh, and that was about a year after graduate school, and I've been working ever since. Wow. So that's yeah, so I I never really did anything else in terms of a career. I've just been a writer my entire career. So now it's fascinating because now I would say that the trend is more that writers write original pilots yeah. than they write specs. Sure. But I love that your first spec was Cheers. Do you remember anything about your spec that stood out? Yeah, well, God, it was what was it? It was a film crew wanted to use the bar or something. Uh-huh. I mean, it was so long ago. I I you can hardly remember. But it was I you know, I guess I executed it fairly well and right. it would, you know, it, and it got me And was that one of gig. your first TV scripts? It was it was my first TV script. I'd never written a TV That's script before. Amazing. Yeah, and and I was lucky, you know, and because I met this guy who, yeah. and uh it was... Uh, See, networking and relationships. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. everything. Yeah. It's everything. And it was a guy I had met at a political fundraiser in New York. And he was, a, you know, as I said, a pretty successful guy. And right. And he took a liking to me and gave me this break, which was huge. Because, you know, I did that for... Then I did that for a year and didn't like living in Los Angeles and moved back east and 
was lucky enough to start getting hired. You know, I wrote a couple of spec screenplays, and I started getting jobs writing screenplays wow. back east. Right. And, uh, you know, I was doing that and then began writing plays and uh, then started writing novels and wound up back in television. So everything as a drama writer, mm-hmm. though, not as because I started as a comedy writer. You know, oh, see, it's fascinating to me because Big Love is so not comedy. Right. <laughs> I mean, although with funny bits, there's, it does yeah, have there little are funny, funny bits. Mo- well, I think right now there's humor in almost every drama on mm-hmm. television, and I think it's great for comedy writers who are transitioning over because they can still get value out of their humor. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're so right. I mean, that really is the trend with with. The, the one hours. I yeah. mean, they're they're really funny bits sprinkled into these really dark premises. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a good muscle to have. And um, so with play, now it's interesting. So you were playwriting and novel writing. So clearly, the in screen yeah, it, screenplay writing. It, I mean, none of those are a sure thing financially until no. you hit. And even when you hit, playwriting never really becomes something you do for the money, is that No, it, ne- it never is. I mean, right. really, I think, you know, Neil Simon was the last guy to really make a living doing it. And even even the really successful writers, uh, the successful playwrights, you know, the David Mamets and the Tony Kushners or the, the Sam Shepherds, you know, I, I mean, th- those guys are produced everywhere. So in purely financial terms, I mean, I guess if you get produced at 30 regional theaters, that does add up. But it's not like what you'd make as a screenwriter or something. Right. You, do, you do it because you love it. Right. Really. And now with your plays, what would you say is your favorite play? Of the four the four full-length plays I've had produced, my favorite one is probably Red Memories, which was done at New York Stage and Film in Vassar, there, you know, the summer theater that happens at Vassar. Yeah. And it was a it's a play about uh the the Cambridge spies who were these uh, Cambridge educated guys who were uh these, these upper-class fellows in England in the 1950s who uh, turned out to be working for uh, the KGB. And uh, I, I won't go into the whole story about what happened. Oh, that but, sounds intriguing, though. But it's, it's a terrific subject and a little-known story here. And it has uh, the play that I wrote had uh, a lot of music by Gilbert and Sullivan, to which I rewrote lyrics that were germane to the story I was telling. And it all takes place in the mind of a guy called James Jesus Angleton, who was a CIA spy catcher during that time, who who knew one of the Cambridge spies very, very well, and was completely played by them. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people think uh, was actually literally driven mad by what happened. And he, he served until the Ford administration when when he was, was finally fired. Uh, and it's it's his reflections. It's his it's his memory of what occurred at that time. Uh, so it's 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 this story refracted through the mind of somebody who may or may not be going crazy with Gilbert and Sullivan music. So wow, you what's know what not I, to like? I, first of all, I love the title. Oh, thank you. I think that's a beautiful title, and I have to say the concept. Sounds like it would translate to television and film. So that is that a play that has maybe helped you in either arena? You know, it helped me. It, it? it helped me in so far as it got me a two picture deal at uh, Fox Two Thousand yeah. when it was done, which was in the nineties. But that went nowhere, like so many things. And I, I certainly didn't do it to succeed in Hollywood. I mean, I did it because because I love the subject matter, and it was a. Uh, a terrific experience to do, uh, to actually do the play. Roger Rees directed it, who had won a Tony for oh, acting in Nicholas Nickleby, which was that extraordinary Royal Shakespeare Company production that was done yeah. in the 80s. And 
in New York on Broadway. And uh, it was possibly the most fun I've ever had doing anything professionally. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was just terrific. So it was a great, great experience. And yeah, it, it, it opened up some stuff in Hollywood totally inadvertently. I mean, that was not what I was looking to do with that play. I was just looking to have a really great and fulfilling, you know, creative experience, which, which it was. And it's interesting to me because of the novel writing, the playwriting, and the screenwriting, which are all very um, solo-type mm-hmm. careers. What what was it like for you to go from the isolation more into working in a writer's room? What was that Well, experience? I had written, you know, it's funny because I started out in a writer's room. Right. And in a comedy room, and, and it was... You know, comedy room is very simple. Yeah, and I didn't dig it, honestly. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I, you know, I certainly have, I can be funny when I want to be funny, but the in a comedy room, it's, it's really, it's an abattoir. If mm-hmm. you're not funny, if everything out of your mouth isn't funny, mm-hmm. you die mm-hmm. a little bit. A little guy inside you keels over every time you say something and no one laughs. Aww. And you know, That's honest. which is fine, but yeah. you know, and, and I, I could do it, but yeah. I, but the ha- just having to be on like that, it just it, I, it turned me it, exhausting. It was exhausting, <laughs> yeah. and then you just feel hostile. Yeah, really, and yeah. Uh, you know, I feel hostile enough ordinarily right. that, I, that I don't need it exacerbated right. by my my work situation. <laughs> you know, so uh, I I did I I worked after I started playwriting. I I got back into a comedy room again. I worked on a show called Arliss on HBO. Oh yeah. I did a season on Arliss about, Great. I don't know, eight or nine years ago. It was the last season of Arliss. And that was a comedy room, but it wasn't, I mean, Robert Wall, who ran the room, who mm-hmm. played Arliss, was adamant that it wasn't a sitcom. Right. So, and I won't get into whether it was or it wasn't, but it was a half hour single camera. And it wasn't like everything had to be funny. I mean, we did some pretty dark stories. And uh, I, I, the one of the scripts I wrote was starred James Coburn, who was an actor I love. As, as a really embittered former baseball star mm-hmm. who was estranged from his daughter, who was played by Lindsay Krauss. Now, these were two great actors, and I wrote really dramatic scenes for them to do together where they really went, went at each other. So the room, it wasn't like we were pitching lines. We might be pitching concepts where you're going to look for the funny in a certain concept. But the show, the season I did, had a fair amount of drama in it. So it wasn't like a typical half-hour, line-line joke comedy room, which you know drove me crazy. And then, of course, Big Love... The funny thing about Big Love is it's not a comedy, but everybody in the room was funny. Right. Which which made it a great work experience. Oh, yeah. And we can get into that, you know, later if you want, but when we talk about Big Love, but but so that was a very different kind of room yeah. because we were doing very weird stories about a very strange family living a deeply alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That went to very dark places, but everybody was funny. Right now, that wasn't part you of the job everybody description. Everybody meaning in the, the room, writers, the yeah. writers. Everybody okay. had a sense of humor. Yeah, and and some of the people were really funny. Oh, that's so. Great. You know, that was great. Yeah, I mean, it was great. That makes for a fun working environment. It was terrific, so, yeah. and it enriched the scripts. Yeah, and the showrunners really appreciated it. Yeah, you know, so that Big Love is a great experience. But you know, we'll oh, get into that's that later no, on. that's wonderful. Well, with that, um, we are going to take our first break, Done. and we are here with Seth Greenland, and we will come back I'm and do talk about change. big love. I'm changing into a gown. <laughs> Little do you now, know. relaxed. <laughs> You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. 
We are back with Seth Greenland, who just finished a job on Big Love, one of my favorite TV shows. So going into Big Love, um, you touched on it a little bit as far as you loved the working process. Mm -hmm. The writers were very funny. The concept was very deep and complex. How long were you on the show and and what brought you to the show? I did two seasons. Mm -hmm. I did seasons four and five. And what had happened was I was uh, in about 2004, I was in need of a break from Hollywood, and uh, Hollywood was in need of a break from me, I think. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering if I w- just wanted to do it anymore, and I'd been doing it a long time at that point. And uh, I wrote this novel called The Bones, and The Bones... Um, Tell me about The Bones. Well, The Bones is about a... It's sort of loosely based on a lot of experiences I'd had and loosely based on people I'd known. All the characters were composites and that kind of thing, of different people, and... Some wholly invented, but a lot of the characters were composites. And it was kind of about all the bile I was feeling about having worked in Hollywood in and around the comedy business, the sitcom business. I actually started out writing jokes. I was a joke writer when I started. I wrote really? For, I wrote for Richard Belzer. I sold Great. jokes to Joan Rivers. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, I, you know, when I moved out here when I was a kid, I hung out in the comedy store parking lot every night and saw the shows for free and all that stuff. So I knew that world really, really well. And no one had ever written a literary novel about it. And I thought, God, this is a great subject because comedians are— It's a great subject. It's a great world. Yeah. It's really it's it's really smart people who cannot get out of their own way. And that's a great subject. You know, I mean, they're all—it's a bucket of crabs over there. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's just so hard to be successful. And yet the brass ring gleams brighter every day. And they kill each other. And they're all—not all, but a lot of them are really funny. And I thought, oh, I can—if I can capture this— and that's what the the bones was about, and it was about a it. a guy who was a very successful uh, writer of sitcoms who who didn't really deserve his success because he wasn't that talented, and an extremely successful comedian who did not have the I shouldn't say extremely successful, an extremely talented comedian who didn't have the success he deserved because he was he was too hip for the room basically, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he was a Bill Hicks kind of guy that 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 sort of comic who. A comics comic who everybody thought was just great, but and the networks would say, oh, we love you, but we don't know what to do with you, that kind of character. And he was very embittered about it. So the comedian wanted the success of the comedy writer. The comedy writer wanted the brilliance of the comedian, and it became a death match. Oh, great. And, and ultimately they came in a serious conflict. And um, so I wrote this thing kind of out of desperation because I didn't know what else to do. And luckily I got an agent, a literary agent, because my Hollywood agent knew somebody in New York. And we sold it very quickly. And before it was published, it was uh, it was optioned by, uh, well, I'll, I'll quickly tell the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this I, is good for everyone to hear because it's writers of all platforms. I'm, I'm sitting in my office, my home office, uh, opening my wrist, you know, deciding w- from what angle to kill myself. <laughs> like nothing is happening at that point. I had left in my mind Hollywood. I had a mortgage, two kids. I was married. My wife has embarked on a different career. She had been an attorney and had given that up to to teach meditation to children. And uh, So there was a lot at stake at this point stake. in life. And at, yeah. at this point, I would like to plug her book, uh, The Mindful Child, published yes. by Free Press. Oh, that's has been out great. nine months in its I fourth printing. I love the printing. name of it. Yeah. She's a more successful author than I am at this point, which great. is kind of ironic. 
Uh, and her name is Susan Kaiser Greenland. And uh, the the concept for mindful child. Quickly. Had it basically had to teach uh, kids how to meditate. Oh, that's as fantastic. young as four and through teenage. Oh, great! And she hadn't written the book at that point, and so she was kind of getting her shtick together. And I was, you know, as I said in my office, getting trying, ready, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do. And uh, and my son comes in with a phone and says, uh, "It's the dad." There's a call for you and thank god because i wasn't doing anything and uh he and, and the book the book is coming out so of course i'm fantasizing that the book is going to be successful but you know we know the chances of that and i get on the phone hi who's this and i hear uh seth it's dave mamet and i love your book not david dave and i'm thinking i'm thinking okay which friend which <laughs> asshole friend of mine <laughs> is yanking my chain like this and and he's I said, Dave Mamet, and he says, yeah, this is Dave Mamet, and I'm here with John Callie, who had run Warner yeah, Brothers and Sony. Yeah, I'm in Callie's office, and uh, I'm going to put him on, and he puts Callie on. He says, yeah, I loved your book, too. Uh, when can you come over here to talk about it? We want to do the movie. And I said, let me check my schedule. You know, I had, <laughs> I had nothing planned for the rest of my life right. at that point. So right, I, but you had to play the yeah. game. So I said, hang on a minute, you know. <laughs> I looked at my wife. You know, 10 seconds later, I get back. I said, I'm free tomorrow. I'll, I'll come over and I'll talk to you guys. And I went over and I met with uh, John and, and Mamet. And uh, we hit it off. Had a two-hour meeting. Fantastic meeting. Uh, they optioned the book. And uh, it was it was great. I mean, it was uh, – Mamet and I wrote the screenplay. It was, it was just a, a fairy tale. I was going to ask you about that because when your book is optioned – do you get the choice of whether you're going to no. adapt Well, it? you can make it part of your deal. Right. And they can say, we'll make that deal. Yeah. Or they can say, no, we don't want to make that deal. Because we it's have a writer you, really. we'd like to yeah, attach. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I knew, you know, Mamet wanted to direct it. And uh, I thought, okay, here's my chance to work with somebody who I really admire and who mm -hmm. I think is a brilliant writer. Mm -hmm. And so we met and hung out. And originally I was going to – I said, look, you can option this, but I want to write it myself. And – they said fine, and David and I started working on the story together because we couldn't do the book literally. Of course, it's an adaptation. And after two weeks of conversations, it became pretty apparent that we were going to be writing it together. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity that I really can't pass up. And we wrote the screenplay together, and to cut to the chase, Sony didn't want to make what we had done, and it got put in turnaround. But what was great was the book came out in the meantime and was really well reviewed oh, and great. beautifully received yeah. and it was you know kind it's a of great a great topic yeah and it was uh, that was terrific and i you know wrote another book and that book came out and again was very well reviewed and i What was that, the next book? The next book was called Shining City. Oh and, yeah. And of course. Shining City was about a guy who was uh, struggling economically and had a wife and a kid and he lived in the valley and he inherits a uh, his brother, from whom he is estranged, dies, and his brother, he thinks, runs a dry cleaner in West Hollywood. And he, as I said, he leaves that dry cleaner to the, the guy who lives in the valley with the wife and the kid. And uh, he thinks, oh, my problems are solved. I'm going to be a successful dry cleaner now. And he learns the dry cleaner is actually a front for a prostitution ring. And it's about the Very decision. Very cable show the, the oriented. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and he he decides, well, this this could change my life. And it's about the decision that he makes. And uh, 
So Warner Brothers made a made a really nice offer to turn that into a movie, and a woman called Leslie Dixon, who's a very big time screenwriter, oh, is yes. adapting it now. And, right. Uh, hopefully they'll make it. Oh, that would be fantastic. So, but to get back to your original question, the very circular way of saying, so I came to HBO's attention as a novelist, mm-hmm. and they didn't realize that I was like. You know, I'd been around for a little while in many different guises and uh, had even done an HBO show. It was a new regime at this point. Right. And they said, oh, here's this novelist guy. Let's bring him in because we think that he'd be a very good fit for one of our dramas. And uh, Big Love was looking for a writer at that point, And they had, you know, were looking to do some restaffing. And I went up and met with uh, the show creators and showrunners, Mark V. Olson and Will Sheffer. Great. And we hit it off, and they hired me, and that was that. And that was uh, two and a half years ago now. And now what was that writing room like? So it was a writing room? Yeah, or it was, was a room. It, it was okay. a very, very, um, a very room show. A right. very, very intense So you all broke show. story together. Yeah, there were nine yeah. of us in the room. Uh, Will and Mark uh, were in, were, you know, ran the room, and there were seven people on staff different levels of seniority, uh, many of whom were playwrights, very mm-hmm. successful playwrights, uh, whose work has been done in all kinds of prestigious regional theaters, you know, the Goodman and the Arena and oh, wonderful. the big ones up in Seattle and yeah. Berkeley Rep and those kind of places. I love playwrights. Oh, well, there, it, it was just a terrific yeah. room because it was it was not a hacky TV room. Right. You know, where, you know, I worked on the, and not, you know, I, that's more condescending than I mean it to sound. What I mean is everybody's frame of reference wasn't television. Yeah. Which was terrific because the show isn't really like a lot of other TV shows. Mm-hmm. And so... Each episode plays like a feature. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And, yeah. and and these were people who were like used to dealing with really difficult material in their plays and very dark stuff that was that they had handled in a humorous way and, and, and all really good collegial people. Uh, so it was, it was not cutthroaty mm-hmm. at all. It mm-hmm. was very supportive. Really. And, you know, there's all kinds of craziness that happens in any room. Obviously, I can't claim there was... Every family is dysfunctional. No, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. what level. Exactly right. Yeah, to paraphrase Tolstoy. Yeah. Exactly. So so, uh, there there was a little bit of nuttiness, of course. But by and large, it was the best room I've been in in a long, long time. I was in... I was in one room in the 80s in the Richard – I did a thing called the Richard Belzer Show for Cinemax really at the beginning, beginning, beginning of my career. And that room was just extraordinary because everybody was so just off the charts funny. Really? Uh, well, and it was a comedy room and the people were – again, were just – just we would stop working because you'd be laughing at so so hard at stuff people would be doing in the room and in the best possible way you oh, know? That's, and, yeah you that's know. rare but then and also we were kids and yeah nobody was embittered at that everybody point. was and, so excited to be paid, yeah. paid you're not bringing you're not bringing this. a lot of baggage yeah. about resenting other people for being funny <laughs> exactly. so 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 big love was a different kind of thing because you know i've been around for a while now and 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 i wasn't expecting funny because i was expecting kind of a heavy duty drama room mm-hmm. and it just wasn't that Really. I mean, ultimately, look, we were doing something that was really serious for the most part. And at Big Love, you know, every lift of the eyebrow was scripted. You know, I mean, that is really? a super, super, super highly, by the script. Yeah. very highly wrought show. Yeah. It's finely, finely designed in right. every way. I mean, right. costume sets, acting. I mean, actors do not change dialogue in Big Love. That does not happen. You know, somebody will come in. I as, admire 
them for running a tight ship. Oh, it's an inclusive. You know, an actor will come in and they'll be a day player and they'll say, well, I'm going to do this and that. And and you'll be, if it's your show, the writers are on set if it's the episode you wrote. And your job as the writer is to tell that day player, no, you won't. Right. You're not, you see the script, that's what you'll be saying. So say that and don't cause problems. You know what I mean? And obviously, I mean, you you're not like Hitler right. or anything, but but it's understood that that and the cast respected this. So, yeah, oh, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, and and great. if you wanted to change something, and somebody had a change that was for rhythm or something is not coming out of their mouth the right way, you know, if it's you not a big thing, you, yeah. you discuss it, and then you yeah. can make a you can massage it a little bit. And if it's at all if it's remotely significant, you take it back to the room yeah. and you get you know the the showrunners weigh in because that's it's their show and. Yeah. And that's what they required. And, yeah. you know, as and I'm as as me, the, the never mind that I'm a novelist or a playwright or, you know, whatever, but it's their show. And mm-hmm. I want to service their vision. No, that's and, good for people you know, to know, because yeah. when you're writing on staff, I think that kind of respect is important. Well, you have look if it's success. If, well, particularly if it's a show like Big Love, yeah. where, where it is. It's so specific, mm-hmm. really. You know, you want to you want to honor what the show is. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, good. No, that's great. Um, when you were thinking of ideas for mm-hmm. stories, like where did you draw from? Where, like, how was it? Is yeah, it, with Big Love, how was it with pitching ideas? Well, basically, the way it would work is at the beginning of each season, Mark and Will would come in, and they're they're a writing team. As yeah. Well. They would come in, having over the break, worked out in broad strokes the arcs for the characters. So for the whole season. Yeah. Yeah. So so we would pitch within that uh that umbrella under mm-hmm. that umbrella mm-hmm. really and you know like last year it's bills going to run for uh state senate and then out his family right okay so if that's his season story what are the stories we can do within yeah. that so right. so they they would arrive with a framework and we would come up with stuff within the framework do you know okay and and in terms of how did we pitch to that world there's a lot of research provided. You know, when I got the gig, they gave me a shelf of books to read, and I read a bunch of books about Mormonism, about polygamy, about mm-hmm. the history of that world. So, you know, we were all pretty versed in it by the yeah. time we get there. And uh, No, it's good for people to hear about yeah. research. I, you know, and I have to ask a question about what you just touched on because it so fascinated me, the episode of Big Love where Bill asked, um, the gentleman to take the rap for him. Oh, um, Don. Don. Don, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and how that mimicked John Edwards mm-hmm. and hit. Like, oh, exactly. I exactly. mean, literally, yeah. in true right, time. Right. I was like, how did that happen? Oh, sure. Well, you know, it's funny because we do, there are certain things, obviously, that are a little bit ripped from the headlines, yes. which is kind of yeah, which is unavoidable great. in a yes. in a contemporary drama yeah. like that. I mean, last year, you know, we opened the season with a raid on, the compound. And mm-hmm. well, that had just happened in, I think it was Texas, where yeah. they took all those kids away. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, that had, that had just occurred in the real world. So there's certain things in that nutty Mormon Creative world are, liberty, which no, is absolutely. fantastic. Because I think, like, The Good Wife mm-hmm. essentially came off the idea of the John Edwards stuff no, of course. and the Mark and Jenny Sanford and exactly. kind of ripped from, okay, this is a world that's exposed to the consciousness, mm-hmm. so let's explore this world. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I love that it does that. Okay, with um, staffing on on Big Love, like mm-hmm. what type of writers did they look for? Would you, would you say playwrights were was the biggest? It was mostly playwrights. Okay, with and uh, they had two of the three of the people, four of the people on staff over the two years that I was there. This was their first job in television. Oh, great. actually, 
One was a young writer fresh out of USC film school. Who oh, was my gosh. Terrific writer. Yeah. Who, uh, who is that? His name is Aaron Allen, and oh, he yeah. actually comes from a Mormon background. He grew oh, up in the Salt Lake great. City area, so yeah. I think they were very intrigued to, to that. get yeah. that voice in the room. Um, another guy had been promoted from writer's assistant to writer, and uh, then Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who's a very talented playwright, and Melanie Marnich, another very talented oh, playwright, yeah, they were recruited from the theater, and they had never worked in television. And they were great. Yeah. They were just terrific in the room, and their work on the— the big love scripts was great, and they were fantastic colleagues. Oh, that's great! Now, character-wise, what mm-hmm. would you? What characters did you identify and enjoy writing for the most? Well, I didn't identify with any of them, <laughs> but uh, the two, my two favorite characters to write for were uh, Nikki, who was played by yes. Chloe Sevigny, yeah, great and, character, uh, to write and for. Albie, her brother, who's yeah. played by Matt Ross. Oh, great! Because uh, the, the whole cast is terrific. Those two are particularly terrific. And their characters are great because they're so extreme. Mm-hmm. And and Matt's character, Albie, is is just so Baroque. And the, the way he, he speaks in a kind of Baroque, slightly arcane fashion, he, he quotes scripture. He's very, he's very specifically uh, old school polygamist, compound, Old Testament, Book of Mormon, totally out there nuttiness which is great to write and very dark <laughs> very 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 dark and and Chloe's character Nikki is you know has no Melita drip she says what's ever on her mind or whatever's on her mind rather she's very acerbic does not worry about people's feelings she just lets it fly and as a result you know it's it's just great I mean she's it, it's it's kind of a you know if, if Noel Coward were to create a Mormon bitch right it would be right. it would be Nicolette Grant right. and uh, so it's just it, you know she lets fly with the barbs and yet she has you know she she does have a heart there she and there's does. and there's a mushiness the in there where yeah. where she's she's very wounded yeah. so so to be able to play with those different colors is is terrific and they're both great to work with right and the episode that I was in charge of this year we're all given one each season uh, was very heavy in, right. in Albie and Nikki so and when, for me what order is it? so the, I know two episodes have ordered so far it's the I've been it's, this is the eighth aired. this is the eighth so I think it's I think it airs March 6th maybe okay um and the show, just so everyone knows, well, actually, at the time of this podcast, the show started two weeks. When was yeah, the debut? I think, I think started, January 16th. It, yeah, it started January. Is that right? January yeah, 16th? Yeah, I think it was January 16th. And it runs for 10 weeks. Yeah, and it runs for 10 weeks on HBO. And can you give us, so this is the last season. Yeah. Uh, who decided that, and why was that? I, I was it like, was, it was surprised. a mutual. It was a mutual decision okay. uh, from coming from Mark and Will and from HBO. And creatively, I think that uh, when you see how the series ends, you'll know why it ended this season. Right. Oh, so we have a lot to look forward I don't want to, to say this anything season. Other than that, well, yeah. I have to say, you know, after last season, I was, I was seriously. I mean, it was fascinating to me that this hasn't gone a little more mainstream mm-hmm. as far as the awards and all that, because I honestly think it's one of the best. Now, I know writing now is better than it ever has been. So I know the competition is. But has how is it done uh, critically? 
Well, it's done. The new season has been very, very well received, which right. is terrific. And there mm -hmm. was in, in the local paper, you know, we're here in Los Angeles, and the Los Angeles Times wrote a rapturous review, which oh, is excellent. really, it's nice to get the, the hometown yes. love. You know? Oh, good. Um, and, you know, last year was very controversial. There were some storylines that were very out there, and some people didn't care for them. And a lot of people did like it, but a lot of people didn't, I guess. And, uh, you know, the show was nominated for, for an Emmy for Best Drama Series in its third season. And uh, I think, you know, year. I'm trying to remember, was The Prom last season or the season before? That was the third season. Yeah, the yeah. third season. I have to say, The Prom was probably one of the best hours of TV I've seen. It was, a great, was, it was a great season. I think Just, that was, was that Melanie? Do you remember? I wonder. I don't remember. Yeah, I forget who wrote that. Terrific season. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but, you know, I think what I admire about it is because you have such a dark concept, you do push the envelope. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what life is. Sure. And, no, absolutely. And certainly in this world, it was a great concept to do so. Um, I'm curious. So what projects are you working on now? Like what arena fulfills you the most as a writer? Boy, that's a tough question. Uh, it's been different things at different times. You know, the most the most fun I've ever had working is has been working in the theater. Just mm -hmm. the most pure fun. There's not doing a play is like summer camp, and you get to be the king. You get as immediate the, feedback. As, yeah. as, and as the writer in the theater, of course, it's 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 fantastic. It's they they there's a great deal of love shown the writer. Um, and I found writing novels to be very very satisfying. As How well. long does it take you to write a novel? Well, I wrote the first draft of The Bones, which actually didn't change that much uh, up till the time it was published, uh, in just under six months. And then... Um, How many hours a day would you say you put into something like five that? Five or six. Great. And then uh, I wrote Shining City over the course of two years, but I didn't work on it straight because it was the two years that I was on Big Love. Uh-huh. So it was, uh, and there, I wrote it over the hiatus and, and mornings and that kind of thing and weekends. And I had to, that was more catch as catch can, so it took a lot longer. And like looking, I mean, I have to say what fascinates me the most about you is, you know, I know, and it's changing, but I know a lot of time agents are trying to and managers as well because I know it's easier for them marketing wise and I understand that to box writers into mm -hmm. either you are a comedy writer sure. you are a drama writer you are a feature writer you are a TV writer and what I love about your career is you are a writer yeah and, well, and that's fantastic you know at this point I mean I've been doing it long enough that, that I hope that I've, I've transcended all of that to some degree and, mm -hmm. and because I've done these different things and I, I don't think people think of me when they bother to think of me any specific way. <laughs> I think way. people think about you, Sam. Right, well, so thanks, this is but... great. You've, de you've definitely earned your your level of where you're at. Well, I mean, thanks. I think the voice is there and it's clear. But you know, it's funny. Yeah. I have a friend called Alan Zweibel who's uh -huh. a very, very successful writer. He's one of the original writers on Saturday Night Live, actually. And he's written plays and books and movies. And, and he and I would discuss this. Uh, and, and he had a great line. He said, I try to be a moving target. Speaking about himself, and which was great because you, you do one thing and maybe it works and maybe you get clobbered, and then you go try something else. And you know, Zwei Bell is remarkably versatile, right? And you know, all of his stuff has been comedy, but it's been in all these different forms. And as a result, you know, he's had a career now that's, you know, whatever 1975 is until now, 35 years. It's the first year of SNL. 
he's been doing it forever, and he's still working, and uh, and it's remarkably highly regarded. He just, I think, won a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Writers Guild sometime in the last 12 months. So you look up to a career like that. Well, he's had a, you know, he's done a great job yeah. just working and doing what he's interested in. And, and uh, you're on that same longevity type Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm, yeah. at the, I'm at the point now where I'm not worried that my career is over. Right. When I don't work for five minutes. Right. And it took a long time to get there, but... But, That's very zen. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, you it's funny. But, well, you hear that. all the stuff about yeah. ageism, and, and look, frankly, a lot of it is true. Right. But but because I've done a lot of different things, I mean, I've never really particularly thought about why it's lasted as long as it has. And there have been times where, frankly, I've thought it's over. But somehow it's never been over because I've kept working and doing different things, and they've always succeeded enough that I've been able to continue. Do you know what's fascinating to me about ageism, though? And I can say having worked at the studios for 15 years, how how much in certain arenas, I mean, I worked for shows where the showrunner was 73 and the average age of the staff was 55. Mm-hmm. And, and there were shifts within that. And I think what was so fascinating to me from an executive viewpoint and from a viewer viewpoint was the more life one has lived, the more they have to draw from. So... And, and with writing, the more you do, the better you get. Well, you know, if you look at who's succeeding at the really, you know, who's, who's succeeding on the highest level now, at least in drama. I don't know that much about what's going on in comedy right now other than Tina Fey seems to be doing everything. <laughs> but in, in drama, if you look at uh, David uh, Simon, who did The Wire and mm-hmm. Treme, or David Milch, who did Deadwood. Or David Chase. Or David right Chase, who did The Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, you've got to be called David, yes, I think we've established. Exactly. But, but uh, these guys all have a fair amount of mileage on them. Yes. And, and, of course, they're extremely talented, and everybody would love to be in business with all of them. Yeah. So I, I think perceptions may be changing to some degree. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, Aaron Spelling was my mentor for 12 mm-hmm. years and was strong until the end. No, exactly. You know, in his 80s. And you, you look at that, and there's something to be said about that. No, absolutely. This. Yeah. Well, also, he, that's a whole other quality, though, right. because he, he achieved stratospheric success. Yes. And when you achieve that level of success, you just, you, you know, people are just happy to have you walk in the room because they think the fairy dust will land on them somehow. Isn't that wild? I think it was somewhere, something like over 4,000 hours of Oh, it's of mind-boggling. TV. Yeah, yeah mind-boggling. pretty wild. Mentor-wise, mm-hmm. talk to me about this. Who have your mentors been? Oh, boy. Boy, have a, you had mentors? You know, it's funny because the I've had people give me breaks, mm-hmm. but in terms of teaching me the the skills that I've I've developed, um, I I did that through trial and error. Mm-hmm. Really, I, I want to give a shout out to Norman Lear who right. gave me who gave me my first job off right. of that Cheers script. He was yeah. the he was the producer. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good and, one to know. And a great great guy who took a chance on me and really you know didn't have to and and I really to this day uh, I really appreciate See, that I he love did that. moments like this but but in terms of the actual writing yeah. it's not like Norman did anything to teach me to how to write because I the one you know the I did this show f- with him called aka Pablo which was Paul Rodriguez's shot first shot at a network show and my experience there because I thought then you know, you write a TV script and they shoot what you write and I was an idiot and a kid and who knew and I turned my script in, and I swear when I got it back, I didn't recognize the punctuation. Right. So much had changed. And so did Norman <laughs> teach me anything? Yeah, leave your ego at the door. Yeah, that's, what that's Norman, a good lesson. That's what Norman taught yeah, me, if you're going to work good... in television. Yeah. But in terms of the nuts and bolts, no, I, I learned by doing it and being bad. And, and just doing See, it again and being less bad. I think that's bad. good for people to hear you know? because it, 
I can't tell you how many writers I've asked this question, and I get these blank looks. And it's fascinating to me, who's had a mentor, a very strong mentor, to know, and I've had writers say to me off off recording that that um, they wish they had had more mm-hmm. mentors. And that that is kind of fascinating to me about the writing world and about how our generations have evolved mm-hmm. because I feel like people are not mentoring as much as they used to. And I think there's good and there's bad to that because I like the idea of being self-taught and learning from your own mistakes and moving forward and moving forward and moving forward. But I wish more people would take a little more time. Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, people ask me to read their material if they know me. And and I try to help out when I can. Yeah. In fact, I had lunch today with somebody who's who's trying to break in, who's working on a script that I am helping him with in terms oh, of giving him feedback. Because yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, satisfying. Well, it's that, you know? and also, you know, I I wished I had had that. Yes. really. And yeah. Because I think I might have saved some time. Yeah. Because you can be, you know, you can be incredibly naive about what it takes to do good work Mm -hmm. and you know it it took me a long time to develop a a skill set really at what point would you say you found your voice oh man that's a really tricky question Mm -hmm. oh you know i wrote junk jungle rot was the first thing i ever wrote that was really my voice i think and that was the play uh was it yeah i guess it was that probably um until then i was imitating different people and amalgamations of this guy or that guy and uh, Jungle Rot's about the uh, the CIA tried to assassinate Patrice Lumumba who was the first democratically elected president of the Congo mm-hmm. in 1960 and uh, I thought my god this is a, this is an amazing subject for a play because a, a pencil pusher who was stationed in the Congo got given an order to kill this guy and like Jack Lemmon would have played him in the movie right and and they sent this lunatic from headquarters to help him this is this is all true and oh the gu- the guy's wife, the the wife of the pencil pusher who was stationed in the Congo, the American diplomat, she th- got wind of this job, and her take was, "You have to do it. It's a great career move." And I thought, "Oh, this is Macbeth in the jungle." And I my love that. And, and my angle on this was, I can make this funny, right? Because it's about career advancement, right? I'm going to assassinate someone to help my career like Macbeth was doing, only, again, from a more comedic perspective. And, uh, you know, sort of tonally like Dr. Strangelove a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was the first thing that I, I did that was really, I felt it was fully my voice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. How would you define your voice? Darkly comic. Okay. I like it. I like it. I think that's fantastic. All right. So getting to the end, I'm curious um, for writers, and, and you have this one who you're meeting with, which I think is great. Um, what advice would you give uh, new writers um, starting a career in TV, film, novels, or plays, or all of them? you got to sit down and write, ultimately. You know, it's really about, you know, what Quincy Jones said about Michael Jackson was, you know, he was, he was all about putting his ass in the chair. You know, everybody thinks of Michael Jackson as this great dancer and this this sprightly spirit and an ethereal presence. But what Quincy Jones's point was was that Michael Jackson sat down in the studio and relentlessly and endlessly did the work. And and it's the same with writing. Obviously, you know, you've got to be there, and and you need to produce the pages. And 
you know, I talk to a lot of people who are starting out and it's, I can't get started or I'm stuck here and I'm thinking about this and I'm rewriting this section. And, and what I tell people is you got to finish something. And, you know, it's like the clay, you know, you're, if you're making a sculpture, it's not going to be perfect. You get, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're doing a, 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 a full figure sculpture, it, it won't be the perfect human body the first time you take a crack at it. You're not going to, you know, Michelangelo didn't do David when he began. You know, it took honing and honing and filing the stone and sanding the stone and shaping the stone. And that's what plays are and novels and screenplays and television shows. You know, it's it's going at it again and again and again and relentlessly improving it and showing it to people and deepening it and honing it. And, and failing and starting And failing over. and failing and failing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And not being afraid of screwing it up mm-hmm. because you're going to screw it up. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Elvis Costello had a great line. Somebody asked him how how he found his voice. And he said, you know, I tried to imitate people who were better than me, and I failed, and my failure became my voice. Oh, and, that's great. But he finished. He yeah. wrote the song, yeah. and he sang the song. And that was, and then he became Elvis Costello, who is a brilliant writer, obviously. And, and that's the advice. The advice is sit down every day and finish it. You know, my father said to me, <laughs> this is like the beginning of The Great Gatsby, you know, mm-hmm. my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me a piece of advice. My father said to me when I was starting out, and he was always really encouraging, both my parents were. My father said to me, if you want to be a writer, write. What Plain else can I simple. say? What else can I say? Yeah. I love that. You know what? It's fascinating. I remember, uh, I love when we hear advice from our parents. Uh, Diane Sawyer was interviewed on Oprah's show, The Masterclass, mm-hmm. and she gave um, three bits of advice that her father had given her, like yours, very simple. Mm-hmm. The idea of first, do what you love. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it in a place that is adventurous and make sure that it helps others. <laughs> Here was my father's advice. My <laughs> father said, go to law school. Right. <laughs> and if you want to be a writer, then write. He didn't, he didn't particularly want me to be a writer. He would have much rather that I had gone and had a successful legal career because it would have been a much more sure thing. What does he think now? Oh, he's very happy. Oh, he's he's thrilled great. to pieces. He's very proud of me. I it's think great. that is fantastic. And I want to thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. For being so open and so honest and revealing so much valuable information. It's been tremendous. It's been fun. Great having you. Thank you so much for joining us. We are out with Seth Greenland, who just came off of Big Love and has many projects in the works, so you can look for his name. Uh, This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 